had to do a little montage. I couldn't pick a right carry on one. I was like, fling! It's the, the bra one, thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> get out of my pub. Can we, can we do that? Oh. Get out of my pub. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt that. I mean, it's, it's the best line ever. I know. You just, just say that and you know that that's EastEnders and yeah. you know that that's. You know the, that Scott Mitchell fell in love and married the legendary Dame Barbara Windsor. Before she died in 2020, she said to him that one day he would be asked to write a book. By Your Side is all about their life together, and she said to be honest, or there was no point in doing it, we think she would approve of what you've done. Mum loves the book, so does yeah. our granny. Well, my granny, your mum. Yeah, <laughs> I know, that's the thing. Oh, my mum absolutely loved it, Scott. Really, it was just... Because the thing is, everybody loved her, didn't they? Yeah. Everybody yeah. loved her. Yeah, she was one of those people. She just had this incredible rapport with people. Mm. And, and you know, one can look back and think maybe it is that nostalgic thing when we all go back to the carry-ons because mm. she spanned generations, obviously, and then later on with EastEnders. Then she had a whole new audience as well. But she, she just really, really loved people and she loved meeting people and finding out about other people. So I think that's what it was. And, you know, and she was pretty much an open book herself and I think that's what people liked as well you know they, they could identify with her and so well she's made plenty of mistakes and, and I, <laughs> so I don't feel so bad about myself now yeah it's true it's about the first time that you met Barbara oh the first time I met Barbara it's I mean in a way it's such a silly story <laughs> my mum and Barbara went to dancing school together when they were 11 years of old age mm. um which just seems you know ridiculous and if it couldn't be any worse, the actual dancing school was called Madame Behenna's Juvenile Jollities. Okay. <laughs> and it's like, I just think only Barbara could have gone to somewhere called that. So, so you know, they kind of used to see each other and hang out as, as youngsters. But, of course, everyone's life moves on, and Barbara's especially went in a totally different direction. She also got to know my dad just by coincidence when she was about 18 and she started going out to dance halls and everything. And she just got to know Dad, who used to hang around on Stamford Hill with this group of lads. And she said there was always this very polite, good-looking one called Ronnie Mitchell. And when the other fellas were all like wolf-whistling or trying to grab her, Ronnie Mitchell would always say, come on, lads, let Barbara go. Let, let her walk past, please. And she always said my dad was always the really charming Aww. one, the really polite one. Unbeknown to her, mum and dad then met. So they both had this kind of mutual friend that they'd they'd come across. And they used to send messages to each other through mutual friends over the years. And then one day, I'd been out of drama school about a year, and I was going down to Hove, where my parents lived in Sussex and where I grew up, and I was living in London. And uh, mum said, look, our old friend Barbara Windsor's coming tomorrow evening. She's doing panto down here and she's got a night off. Why don't you join us? And I said, oh, I said, I, to be honest, I said, I've got things to do in London. <laughs> I said, and I don't know if I want to join you two and Barbara wins. I said, I'm, I'm sure she's lovely and everything. And mum said, that's so strange, Scott. You know, you've just left drama school. She's so knowledgeable and 
you'll find her really interesting. And then I kind of checked myself and I thought, why did I say, you know, why did I have that reaction? It, I guess it was like a sliding doors moment. It was a total mm. what if, wasn't it? What Absolutely. if you hadn't? If I hadn't what? bothered. I what know. if she hadn't had the night off? Exactly. <laughs> so many. <laughs> exactly. So lo and behold, I did stay and I was sent down to collect her. And she was staying with her friend who was an actor called Victor Spinetti who was a wonderful, wonderful old actor. He used to be in all the Beatles films. And, I remember, and like yeah, that. I do. And, and Victor and Barbara had been on Broadway together in about 1963, the year I was born. <laughs> we always like to kind of, you know, compare those things when she was doing something. And I'd say, yeah, I don't know if I was actually born at that point. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I went to pick her up and she opened the door and I just remember this lovely little vision of prettiness and and this blonde hair and these green eyes that were quite striking in actual fact. And and she went, oh, hello. So I said, I said, hi, I said, I'm Scott, Rita's son. And she went, oh, oh, you better come in, love, because uh, I'm not ready. And I looked at her and I thought, hold on, she's got she's got a coat, a gloves, a bag. Well, you know, what else does she need? So we went in and she just showed me around like briefly and said, oh, this is our lounge and everything. And I was thinking, what is this? So, you know, I didn't understand it. But she told me a lot later that the reason she did it was to get a better look at me because it was because oh. it was dark on the doorstep. Oh. She couldn't work out how old I was, she because she instantly thought, oh, I think he's quite nice, but I think he's a bit young for me. She right. thought I was about 19. I was actually 29. <laughs> so I drove her up to the house and I swear to you, Rosie, that first day in that car, we started chatting and it was almost like we didn't stop chatting for the next 27 years. Wow. Oh. We just hit it off. Yeah. It was just... There was just something between us that we ju our conversation just flowed. We just loved chatting to each other. Mm. Didn't have to be about anything incredibly, yeah. you know, wonderful and intellectual the whole time. It was just nattering. We mm. nattered together. Nattering is very underrated. Exactly. I think. Yeah. Very underrated. Exactly. And it's, it's a very good thing. And and you mentioned there, you know, you talked about things that you would say, oh, I wasn't born then or, or, or whatever. <laughs> but... So much was made of that age difference in a way that there wouldn't be if the tables were turned. You know, if 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 you had been the one that was like thirty years older or whatever, it wouldn't be. And um, but that age gap, you, it just didn't because she was so young. Exactly. You know, and looking, but in her attitude, Definitely. you were kind of older than her. And yeah, if you look well, at, if you look at it that way, she always said that. She always said, "You're the sensible one." And believe me, at that point, that was saying something. <laughs> so that was the blind leading the blind <laughs> with us two, because <laughs> I was still a bit crazy. But we were, we were both a little bit kind of chaotic at the time. We were, we were like two. We always said we were two souls that were thrown together that should have met, and we did meet. Yeah. And the long-term effect of that was, I believe, that we both became the people we were supposed to be mm. over oh, time. Oh, yeah. That's a lovely way to look at it. Yeah. It makes sense uh, as well. Yeah, because we mm. were. We were both a little bit all over the place. Barbara was at the end of her second marriage. They were estranged, living in separate homes, although it wasn't publicly known. Um, Barbara, by her own admission, was going out and about and enjoying herself. I, you know, was 
single 29 and I was enjoying myself, that's for sure. And we both like to drink. And, and we were just like these two chaotic little munchkins that's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> running, running around the West End. You know, there was kind of there, it was never late enough for us to hit a bar when we first met and went out. And we just never wanted the night to end. And we just had this brilliant time together. But of course, surrounding that, there were other serious issues going on. For instance, like she was still married and mm. she was this known lady. Mm. And um, of course, at first we had to be a little more discreet about it. So it made it difficult because we were obviously, you know, developing these deep feelings for each other. And we just fought against everything that yeah. was coming towards us. We knew it was going to be difficult to be together. Mm. But we just wanted to be together, so we we just said we'd take it. Whatever came at us, we'd take it. Yeah. How did you deal with people that sort of were calling you a gold digger and were being quite horrible, to be honest? Um, I don't think, personally, at that time, my confidence wasn't great, in actual fact. I, I could wear a great mask and, and I, I could yeah. appear to be very confident, but actually, deep down, I was very insecure. And I, I guess I had quite a low self-worth which I could never understand where it came from, why it was there. You know, I've kind of done a lot of work on myself uh, since that time. So I wasn't very good at handling all of that. The ironic thing about being called a gold digger was it turned out that Barbara had a debt of a million pounds at the time. Oh. So I must have been the worst gold digger <laughs> that you could ever meet in your life. I went for the one with a million pound debt to uh, to have a wonderful life with. But do you know something, <laughs> do you know what I love about that? I love the fact that we wanted to be together for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. Yes. And there was me behind the scenes saying to her, look, if you, if you lose the house, I've got a two-bedroom flat in East Finchley. We'll live there, mm -hmm. uh, which was unbeknown to all these people mm. who thought I was there. Yeah, but you were you were the one that could, if it had all gone really badly, mm. it would have fallen back, and you would have been happy in your two-bedroomed house. Of course, you we, would. We, we because would have, we would have been. Yeah, whatever we, you were, you would you would be happy. Yeah. But it's difficult, isn't it? I'm sure it's difficult, Scott, being the plus one. Oh, yeah. Being the person that's cut out of the photograph. I mean, obviously, and the thing about Barbara was our generosity, as you mentioned, anyone that came up for an autograph and then later on for a selfie, she would never turn them down, mm -mm. you know, and she would talk to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> it, must have been, it must have taken you ages to get anywhere. It you know, did. you imagine trying to go shopping or walking down the high street. It would take you hours. Well, I would think it's very similar to you walking down the <laughs> no, street. No, not rain. at all. I, because, <laughs> but, you know, for instance, if we were at a function or, or a charity evening or something, I always knew in my head, I'd say to her, we need to leave, mm. but I'd always leave 45 minutes right. to allow very for the fact I that we would be stopped. I sometimes do that with you, actually, yeah. when we go out. <laughs> so we yeah. have to leave. Yeah. No, yeah, we have to leave now. But yeah. just thinking... Yeah. <laughs> but everybody wanted to talk to her, but it's hard when you're there. And I know mm. for you, it must have been, for anyone, it must have been really difficult. And at one point, you know, you're very honest about it in the book. And at, at one point, you, you do split up. Yes. Yeah, you do. You went yeah, to America, yeah. didn't you? Absolutely, absolutely. But you couldn't live without each other. It, it was a really ridiculous thing. I mean, the other thing is I used to handle things by drinking a lot. Mm. That's how I got over this kind of lack of confidence and everything is, is I drank a lot, I took drugs, and that was my way of just numbing myself to this kind of outside judgment and, and interference. Yeah. So if I was, you know, 
before we'd leave the house, I'd have to have a couple of glasses of something just mm. to have the Dutch courage, mm. just to attend a red carpet event. Um, and I did stop drinking at one point, and I'd, I'd been sober for nearly 18 months, not happily sober. And I decided that, well, it must be the relationship. This is the problem. Uh, you know, I, I I wasn't looking at myself and thinking, well, what's going on with you here? You know, mm. uh, you know, it, it, for guys, it's a really hard thing. I think it's hard for anyone, but maybe for guys, it's a hard thing to suddenly kind of say, actually, I feel really frightened a lot of the time. It, just about life, just about yeah. everything. So, of course, that you know, that's how I used to cover it. And um, I decided that the relationship was the problem and it was best that we weren't together anymore, which was awful because we both loved each other madly. Barbara just couldn't understand what had happened. And uh, I said, no, I need to go to America. I need to get away from your fame and, and start my life again. So I didn't. I, I got to America and the first person I called was Barbara to say, I'm here, I'm safe. <laughs> <laughs> and before I left the house, I made her have CCTV put on and oh. a camera because I was already worried about oh. her being by herself. Um, so, yeah, we were meant to be together. We stayed in contact. Uh, I came back about six months or so later and we just naturally got back together. And uh, then I proposed soon after. But I had started drinking again at mm. this point. But, it, you know, at that point, it was more of um, a celebration mode. We were in celebration mode. Uh, for me, and I think I have to talk about this part, I, I used to drink if I was happy or sad, and I'm just someone who shouldn't drink. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just one of those people. I have no off button. I love oblivion. And once I start, I just don't stop. Most people are good. They can just say, OK, I think I've had enough now. Me, I want it to go on for days and days. I mm. think it's the most wonderful thing. Um, but that becomes very destructive mm. and it's not healthy and it's not healthy for me. Uh, and it's also usually not healthy for the people around you. So after we were married, you know, it kind of spiralled again a little bit. And I got sober which is nearly 21 years ago now. Wow. wow. So, Congratulations. Thank That's you. Hard. Yeah, so I don't, I don't touch anything. I gave up smoking that day, everything, drinking, just everything. Right there. There, wow. there and then. I felt so unwell. Mm. <laughs> I felt so wretched. I couldn't, oh. I couldn't face a drink or a cigarette, if I'm honest. Um, but no, that was the best thing that I ever did. It was the best thing I did for myself and it was the best thing I did for Barbara and I yeah. as well. Mm. Because... Let's, if you would wind the clock forward to how I would need to care for Barbara one day, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been present Yeah. if I was still that person. Right. You know, I would have been unreliable. And so there was always a reason, I, I believe, that my life went the way it did. Mm. You talked about your wedding. I would like to hear about the big day. The big day. I want all the details. The big day. Well, <laughs> listen to this. So... Of course, we got engaged and like everything, it, it gets out. I think a photographer jumped out on us and took a picture of her hand and she had an engagement ring on. Right. Yeah, just down by John Lewis in actual fact. Wow. I remember where we were. And um, Did you propose in John Lewis? No, 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 <laughs> okay. no, 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 no. No, a little bit more private, Rosie, yeah. It was actually on Barbara's birthday. Oh, oh lovely. Yeah, I, I walked around uh, to the side of the bed, got on one knee and um, proposed to her and she and she just cried and said, Aww. yes, Aww. yes. I told this story recently 
and in the presence of David Walliams. And I said, and I walked round the bed and I got down on one knee and David said, oh, could no. she still see you? <laughs> <laughs> Cheek. <The sheet. laughs> Cheek. Cheeky. So, so, so that was that. And, and straight afterwards, straight after it had become public that we were engaged, we had the magazines came in at the time. Of Weddings course. were the big things. Huge. And it was really weird. Neither of us kind of mentioned it mm. after this. And then one one night we were both couldn't sleep. And I said, I said, are you awake? She said, yeah. She said, what, what's bothering you? I, I said, it's the magazine thing. Mm. And she said, yeah, me too. I said, I'm not being funny, Barbara. I said, but you know, can you imagine you walking down in a white dress? Me. I said, they'll think I'm the page boy. <laughs> I, I, I said, this is ridiculous. We can't do this. So we said, let's do it in secret. And we, oh. we, we were both so happy to do that. The only guests that we had were my dad, God rest his soul, mum and my sister, Marsha. And we got married at the Dorchester Hotel and we got away with it. It was amazing. Mm. It was only on the way back from where you get married in the Dorchester in one of the, the rooms there. And it was only on the way back that suddenly, as we were walking back, all these doors started opening and the cleaners suddenly came out hoovering and things like that. They knew mm. we uh, were there. They wanted, they wanted they a just glimpse. Wanted to, so they just they wanted, wanted a to see her. Oh. And we got away with it for half an hour and then they called up from reception to say, um, there's some press people here. Okay. So we didn't care then because we were, oh, we were upstairs yeah. and it was done. So, mm. we, you know, we, it, we made it more special mm. and I cried through the whole thing. They had to mm. stop twice oh. to give me a tissue. <laughs> <laughs> Happy tears. Happy tears. Happy tears. And, yeah. and no wonder, no wonder at all. She did have that time in her life after Carry On and after other things that she'd done mm. where there was a time where she did loads of panto. She worked, she, I mean, she worked so hard, Scott. She was mm. such a grafter. Definitely. But before the EastEnders role came, there was a sort of quiet time, wasn't there? How was she like, what, what was she like... Because she always was a wee firecracker and always wanted to be doing, mm. you know, always working. She was always very positive. I mean, you know, I was with her a year before she went into Eastern. Mm -hmm. So it was during that quiet time that she met me. And, um, you know, she was doing things like music hall shows. She'd do a Mari Lloyd performance of an old music hall star. And, and, it, and it was very Barbara. And she just had this very positive attitude to her. It didn't matter if you were at Clacton Town Hall. You were on stage. You were part mm. of show business. That could, that was the equivalent of being at the London Palladium at that time. It meant she was working mm. and doing things. And, and she just had a very good attitude about being an actor. You know, she didn't, she never ever felt entitled to work. It didn't matter that she'd been in all these carry-on films. As far as she was concerned, that was then. I'm now a jobbing actress. You know, I'm like everyone else. I'm waiting mm. for the next audition to come up, which was ironic because you'd walk down the street with her, of course, and she was still very recognisable. People would all be saying, oh, carry on, Babs, carry on. <laughs> and it would be all of that, you know. But, of course, when EastEnders happened, and it happened at just the right time because, as I mentioned earlier, there was the debt mm. and she wasn't earning mm -hmm. massive money, but she said she refused to go bankrupt and she said, I will pay back every penny of that. And I admired her so much for those things. And that was before EastEnders. So she had no idea how she was going to pay back this kind of money. Mm. And then, of course, EastEnders did come up and it just completely, completely turned everything around again for her. And I was so pleased for her 
You know, um, they did a drama about her called yes, Babs. Yes, I remember, yeah. And the opening scene is is me walking into a dressing room, and it was funny enough at Clacton Town Hall, and it was in between shows. She'd done a matinee and an evening performance, and in between shows I went out to get her something to eat, and I came back in, and she was laying on this kind of dirty floor with a with a coat over her, and it was this bare dressing room with a one light bulb and I looked at her and it really made me emotional because walking down the street everyone was hello Babs hello Babs mm. and I thought you don't you deserve more than this you really deserve more than this and and I, I can remember you know feeling that emotion well up in me and my eyes getting teary and and she just kind of looked at me oh hello love and she was so full of you know this is it. This is showbiz. This mm. is this is the other side of show business, and no one could have been more thrilled for her when EastEnders came along than me. And we didn't know how it was going to go. She was very nervous about EastEnders. She didn't think that she was right for TV. She said, "Oh, I'm too big, Scott. You know, I'm I'm, I'm all hands and jazz hands and everything. Oh, and she I'm thought a that big she performer. could. Oh, I see. Right. So she didn't think she'd knuckle down to that style of acting. You see, so I know it's ridiculous when she'd <laughs> yeah. done so much work, you know, previous to the Carry Ons film. Barbara was in the West End, the age of 15, mm -hmm. in a show called Love from Judy, where June Whitfield was actually the leading lady. Gosh. So, you know, she'd done it all. But I think also when people go through that phase where, let's say, between the Carry On phase and EastEnders, and there may be a, a dip mm -hmm. in your career. I think it's very natural for artists to lose confidence as well. And I think Barbara had lost her confidence. So she really worked at that. And I remember in the early days of EastEnders, she'd come home and she'd say, oh, Scott, I, I feel like the novice there. She said, you know, they all know how to do this. One, you know, one, two, three, they're doing it. So I said, well, all right, but I said, so what are you going to do about it? And she said, I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to make sure that I get it. And that's what she did. Mm. And that's what she did. And that's that's where her experience kicked in, really, you know, and she got her confidence yeah. back and everything. And it was, she was brilliant. wonderful for Absolutely. her. Absolutely. I mean, it seemed like a no-brainer for her to go in mm. to EastEnders. Mm. It was like a match made in heaven, really. Of course. You know, of course she has to be in that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but it was hard, wasn't it, Scott? I mean, she, she was a grafter, as oh. we said, but she worked really hard. And, yeah. and it was long, long hours, wasn't it? Because she was the heart and soul exactly. of EastEnders. She was in virtually every scene. Yeah. Um, and huge demanding storylines as well. Yeah, I think she was a victim of her own success yeah. and her own professionalism because yeah. they would call her in really early because they knew Barbara would be there for the for her call time mm -hmm. and not phone in with a hangover or, <laughs> or anything else. She most likely had a hangover, but she, <laughs> but she still got there. Yes. Um, and she was just one of those old school pros who, you know, that old adage, the show must go on. You, you get there, you know your lines you're prepared, you get there early so that everyone doesn't have to panic where you are and you get on with your job and then you go home. And she was very much like that. And she she was a, a great asset to them as far as a company member was concerned because the younger members of the cast, you know, would all kind of, she'd take them all under her wing and if she saw something that wasn't quite right, she'd say very nicely to him, no, darling, you, know, you don't behave like that. That's not how we do it. In, in our business. I could just hear her saying yeah. that, actually. <laughs> yeah, so she, she, was, she was great. And, you know, to this day, I still have 
friends who are obviously still in the show and they all still say to me oh if only Barbara was here mm. yeah. oh something happened the other day and we all thought oh Barbara would have sorted this out she would have said something mm. and uh, you know she so it wasn't just her role of Peggy I think it was her presence as mm. well around the building that they missed very much well, well people that don't even watch the soap know Oh, know her, know oh, her lines, know ab- everything. Absolutely. I mean, it's a get out of my pub. Can we, can we do that? Oh. Get out of my pub. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt that. I mean, it's, it's the best line ever. I know. You just, just say that and you know that that's EastEnders and yeah. you know that that's... You know that, that it's her. It, absolutely, mm. absolutely. But it was demanding. Mm. Um, it, it, it was. And she. Oh, that's the thing about her. She would always just keep going. Yes. You know, the, 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 the trooper that she was. She yeah. was a, a total trooper. When did you notice that she was getting a little bit ill, that things... Because everything was going so well, wasn't it? Oh, there she is in the, the most popular show. She's the most popular character. Mm. You're doing really well. Yeah. The relationship's brilliant. Everything is happy and then... And then suddenly, I'd say around 2009. Was it? In actual fact, yeah. Okay. It's a long time ago. Yes, mm. yeah. And a couple of times she'd come home and she'd say, do you know what? She said something really strange happened today. She said, I suddenly went blank on set said, I could not remember my next line for the life of me. And the thing about her was, as I said, she was always so well prepared with mm. her work. They all said, you know, Barbara, you know, she'd know her lines inside out. She did have this incredible memory as well. And and that was the other ironic thing. This this lady who had this incredible callback memory and suddenly she was saying, I don't know what it is, Scott. So... We discussed it and I said, look, maybe these hours now at this time of your life are getting a little bit much for you. I know you love the show and, and everything else. I said, but, you know, Bar, you've got to think you get up at six o'clock in the morning, you're getting home sometimes eight o'clock at night, mm. then you're looking at your lines for the next day. I said, that's a lot for anyone. I said, so certainly it might be for you. So she reluctantly said she'd leave in 2010. And if you remember, that was yes. that was where they did it. They redid the theme tune, and they had Peggy's theme. They it's did. like a slower <laughs> version, a slower version of the EastEnders theme, and it was it was really moving. And it's when she walked out with a little suitcase behind her, past the burnt out Vic. Oh, I remember it. Yeah, because oh, Phil, yes. Phil set it alight, didn't he? Yeah. Yes, I think he was on crack at the time. Probably uh, another <laughs> another cheerful storyline. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so yeah, so she did start to take it a little bit easier, but I noticed over that next couple of years. I mean, she went straight in and she had this advert that she did for Bingo. That was genius. I oh remember that. Oh, my God, I remember that. Do, do yeah. you? Because she literally Jack said Cheerio and then on the other channel on ITV, there she was. That was it. <laughs> it, it was the same thought, night she walked oh. out of EastEnders. Brilliant. You turned over and in the interval of Coronation Street, oh. the Queen of Bingo popped up <laughs> yeah. and, and there she was. So, oh, no, it, that was great. And that that was really good for her in the sense that it wasn't incredibly hard work she could use an auto cue Mm -hmm. for the commercials which was very important to me in my little head at the time thinking "Mm, yeah we need to think about what you do now Mm -hmm. but it did start to get a bit worse and I I was noticing at home there was the misplacing of things there was there was the repetitive conversations that started coming in and also just a slight I'd say vagueness about Barbara just almost like her sparkle had started to dim a little bit. And what you do at first, you make all these excuses in your head and you say, look, she's getting a bit older now. That happens when people get older. You get a bit forgetful and maybe you don't have as much energy as you used to have. 
but I knew it was more. Mm. And, and and eventually things will be very obvious. Like I can remember finding the television control in the fridge. Okay. And it's things like that. And that's when you start to realise, no, something's not right. So in 2012, I, I took her to a neurologist and I just said to her, look, let's just go by. I said, maybe you've worn yourself out over the years. Maybe there's a pill they can give you that kind of recharges yeah. the mm -hmm. brain and everything else. And she was a brave lady and she didn't care about going to doctors and things. She went, no, all right, we'll go along and see what he says. And they did the initial scans and tests. He said he'd keep an eye on it. He said he wasn't sure and they don't like to rush into making a diagnosis at, at yeah. that early stage. So he saw her over the next 18 months and then, unfortunately, 2014 was the day that he, that he confirmed that it's mm. Alzheimer's. So that was a, you know, that's the day everything changed. Hmm. That's really the day that everything changes for you because um, the immediate thing is shock. I think you naturally go forward in your mind. You go to the darkest place and then you start thinking about everything that you may know about dementia or Alzheimer's. And, and I must admit, I didn't know a great deal hmm. about it then. Um, but I did know, I'd heard things like people say, oh, oh you, your family might forget who you are or your name. And, and in my head, I went straight there and I just felt so, like, devastated, so devastated. And I felt devastated for Barbara as well because I thought, you've had this most wonderful life. Please, please, God, don't let her forget all of all this. All these amazing things. All the things that she's done. And, you know, it was a really tough time and... She didn't really want to accept or talk about it at first. Um, she apologised to me in the room oh. in front of the specialist. She, she reached her hand out and said, I'm sorry, Scott. And I said, don't ever. I said, don't ever say sorry to me, sweetheart. I said, we'll be fine. Um, but, of course, the unfortunate thing about dementia, as anyone who has a loved one with dementia will know or has been through, is unfortunately at this point in time, it is a one-way journey mm -hmm. and there is no cure. Uh, we don't have treatments yet, which really, really slow it down. So what he said to me was, and I think it was really good advice, he gave me some really good advice, two things he said. First of all, keep Barbara doing what she loves, which is working. Right. Just think carefully about what you do, you know, mm -hmm. what, what she does. Uh, so straight away I thought, well, okay, live television is most likely not going to be a good thing because she'll start repeating herself or she might have these blanks, etc. He said, and the other thing is, because she's in such a strong position at the moment and she still has, you know, her faculties are all there, go and put your house in order. And he said that to Barbara. Right. He said, now is the time that you go and do all whatever you need to do, whether that be your financial things, your wills and everything else, do it now because you're in control now. You're making the right decisions. And that's what we did. And I think that was very wise advice as well. I think so. You have to get mm. all that sorted out. You, you? do. You and, do. Yeah. And, it, and it feels quite kind of cold and, and hard. But it's, unfortunately, it's a reality. And it's got to be done. It's and got to better, be done. And better done when, when that, they're, the there. When they're yeah, there. They've yeah. got the control. They're the ones doing it. Of course. And I think that was so important. So we then had to learn to live this new kind of life. Mm. And this went on for four years after diagnosis. She continued working. 
She was amazing. She continued doing events and turning up. She was she did quite a bit of radio at the time as well, which was great. She was doing some Radio 2 shows and she loved doing that. But once again, she could read. She could read off a script. Right. Of course. So, of course, this was still kind of masking what was really going on. And I think it gets to a point where the symptoms do become much more obvious. And, for instance, I can remember being we, we went to see a, there was a pop-up theatre that that was um, at Marble Arch and I remember we went to see a production there one lunchtime and as always there was a lot of people there everyone was coming up to Barbara when they spotted her just say can I have a picture or a chat mm. and I just remember she asked this family the same thing about three times in the space of five minutes and when they said goodbye, they were walking away. And I remember the one lady at the end of this family, she turned around and she looked at me and she gave me this knowing smile and kind of nodded her head to me. And I know that she knew. Mm. I knew that she'd experienced it. And I thought this is going to be so much harder now. Very much so, because you're so, you know, you want to protect her. Yeah. Exactly. You don't want her to, you know, you don't want people to maybe see her getting upset Ups or, yeah. or, or repeating herself or it, anything like mm. that. Exactly. You know? So it was very much about protecting her. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think it's really important, and I think it's really important we speak about these things, is that we also don't want to feel we have to hide our loved ones away because exactly. they have dementia. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's why when we did talk about it openly, you know, that was one of the things I... I said it as well because I didn't want Barbara to be a prisoner in the house. I wanted her to go out and if people did come up to her and maybe she wasn't quite as they expected, they would know why. Yeah, exactly. And and that would be okay. And it was a really important thing, the, the going public with it. Um, of course, I explained to her that she was going to be really helping a lot of people, mm -hmm. which she loved because she always loved helping other people. You know, as I know you, Lorraine, you're a big charity campaigner. Barbara was the same. She'd always want to get involved if she thought her presence could help. And um, I could see the recognition when I said, you're going to help people, Barbara, talking about this. She, it, it really went in. Five minutes later, she most likely would have forgotten. And she would have said to me, Ear, don't tell anyone I'm not well because I won't get any work. And she, she still had that actress's yeah. mentality, you know, which, which was, like, incredible. Um, but it wasn't an important time for us going public. It made a big difference to the world of dementia. Oh, it absolutely mm. did. I mean, they call it the Barbara Windsor effect. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's still called that. And yeah. that's an amazing legacy. Oh, it's a wonderful legacy. Mm. And it's why I continue with that legacy. I'm very passionate about it. One of the things that I thought when, when I was caring for Barbara, and it can become very difficult for you when you're caring, and this was before I had additional help in, and I was trying to do everything, and on those really difficult days or nights, in my head, I'd say to myself, I can't beat you. I was talking to the dementia. Mm -hmm. And I was saying, I can't beat you. I can't stop you doing what you're doing to this wonderful lady that I love. But if I can help one day in the smallest ways possible, I will do that. I will, I will make myself visible if we can use Barbara's name to fight back somehow, I will do that. And it still burns very kind of passionately mm. within me. And as long as her name makes an effect, I'll continue to do that. 
And when it's time for someone else to take over, that we fine as well. But it is quite remarkable, the, the effect mm. that she's had. And it was so interesting. It really resonated with both of us because obviously mm. our sponsor is Home Instead. And that's all yes. about keeping you know, keeping your loved ones at home yes. for as long as you possibly can. And I know that that's something that you really want to do. Mm. Again, it's that you, you, you love her, you know, you still love her, of even course. though she's not here. You still yes. love her, of course. There's all of that love. But there is that thing of sometimes, you, because you said you got help, mm. sometimes you just got to. You can't do it all yourself. Mm-mm. You, you try. You I re- know, of course you really you do. do try. And I think it's really important for carers to know it's okay to ask for help. Yeah. It's okay to try and spread the load a little bit because, especially with dementia, I mean, look, if you're caring for anyone in any capacity, it can be very, very difficult. With dementia, you've got this this kind of mentally draining side where you will be answering the same questions over and over again. And no matter how much you love someone and how much of a wonderful person you may be at some point, you're going to be a little bit tired yourself. Mm. You may get a little bit irritable when they're not kind of taking on board what you're saying or they suddenly ask the same question for the 17th time. And it was really interesting. I'd always try and disguise it. The way I did it, I always used to smile before I said something, uh, even if it was the 17th time. Mm. I'd, just, I'd just look at her and I'd, I'd smile and answer it. But sometimes she could see it in my eyes and she'd, she'd say, oh, I can see I'm aggravating you. And I said, no, bar. I said, I said uh, you're not, sweetheart. And eventually I may try and explain to her the situation of why I may have looked a little bit irritable. And then she'd get it for that moment. Then she'd apologise and you'd feel even worse. Mm. You know, there's kind of... It, it's, it's a difficult thing to balance. But I also think caring for someone is a privilege. Um, to be able to care for someone you love. And, uh, you know, it's something I will never forget. And I, I think it's changed me. I think it taught me so much more about about life and people and watching people go through things. And it's like, you know, sometimes if we're in a supermarket, this may sound ludicrous, sometimes there may be this older person in front of you who you might think is dithering a bit, who may have stood still right in front of you to just stare at something. For all we know, that person may have dementia. They may be having one of those moments where they suddenly think, I don't know where I am. And it's all those things, it made me so more aware of other people mm. and, and not being in such a rush, you know? So and kinder, I guess. Kinder, yeah. it is that it be is kind. Kinder. It is that, that kindness side of you. But, you know, they do say, Carers must be careful because sometimes the carer can go before the person they're caring for. That's mm. true. That's true. And that's why sometimes you do need that extra help. You, you just, do. You do. And it's, it's, you do. And it's fine. And it's fine to ask your family. It's fine to ask your friends and say, would you mind coming around for an hour? I just need to go out and have a walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You might need to get to the shops. But please, please, you must take that help. Yeah, you, you have It's to. such a responsibility. I think that we're not very good, don't you think, Rosie, at having mm-hmm. that conversation mm. about, yeah. about care? I've had to do it with my mum. Mm. And in fact, we've got people from home instead actually looking after my mum. They go in in the morning and the afternoon and it's been yeah. an absolute game changer. Mm. But uh, oftentimes we don't have the conversation. Did you have that with Barbara? Did you sit and say to her, look... You know, we might have to get people in, or we might. Is, are you going to be all right with that? Because obviously, you're a wee bit worried that they've got to get on, haven't they? Of course, yeah. of course. Mm-hmm. And and also, you know, 
it's not always an easy thing to put to them because, because mm -hmm. and especially people of a certain generation, they're very proud and they don't want to think that they need help or someone coming in. Yeah. But we did have the conversation and I had it with her. Her neurologist used to come round. We'd both have the conversation with her. And, and I, I think the way we got through to Barbara was um, the neurologist used to say, I know you're not over keen, Barbara maybe, of having people in your house, but you've got to think it's good for Scott. Okay. Right. So if you see, if you get to their heart through the people they love mm. and say, you know, because it will just give them a little break. Mm. And it wasn't until I started having help at home that I realised how much I needed it and how much I needed to take a little bit of time for myself, whatever I was doing, whether it was going out for a run, whether it was meeting a friend for coffee, because what can happen is your world can become very isolated Mm -hmm. And it can feel very lonely for, for carers. And I think the people that do this job, that come into your home and become literally a part of your family, they are angels. Mm -hmm. They are the most wonderful people in the world. And I would recommend to anyone who's struggling with that decision about having help come in, please just do it for for your sake, for your loved one's sake, it, it's just the best thing the whole way round. And but I do understand there's a guilt that can be associated yeah. with that when you do it, because you think to yourself, oh, this is my responsibility. I, I should be doing this, really. But we can't do everything. No, you no. can't. And you've got to look after yourself, haven't mm -hmm. you? You've got to do mm -hmm. that. That's really important. Yeah, that, that that really is. And, you know, she got used to it. Bar got used yeah. to it. She used to like them. She used to, you know, she had her different ones that she, that she might have got on with, you know, really, really sure. well. That mm. she, and she used to make fun of all of them, Barbara. She would be <laughs> terrible. She'd comment on what they were wearing. And suddenly, well, you come as today. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they loved her. Oh, they did. I bet they just absolutely loved coming coming to that because even towards the end, there was still a wee twinkle there. You, yeah. And did did she come back sometimes? Did you get she little did. little sort of moments oh, when she when quite, she would come? You know, quite a lot, Lorraine. And I think this is the confusing thing about dementia. It can play tricks with you because at some point they might be saying, "Where are we?" Or which I had a lot. Barbara would actually look at me and say, how do we know each other? Which is oh. a, it's a very heartbreaking thing to take, but you do in a way, you never get used to it, but you do get used to it. Mm -hmm. It's it's deceiving. It tricks yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember listening to an interview you did saying that she wouldn't remember who you were and then you'd say that you're her husband and she would do a little, oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. are you? Yeah. <laughs> She used to punch the air and go, yes. <laughs> yeah, so it is. that's where it gets difficult because sometimes they're so kind of lucid that you feel like you're talking to the old person. Mm. You, and you think, oh, maybe it's reversed. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's gone a miracle. away. You think maybe there is a maybe miracle. Maybe a miracle. And if anybody was going to get a miracle, yeah. it would be Barbara, right? Mm. And, of course, then the next sentence would be back to ah. confusion not knowing you know, where she was. Cruel. Yeah. It's and the cruelest, so, yeah. cruelest disease. Yeah, it, it, really, it is. really is. And I think that's why we have to continue to campaign for better mm -hmm. treatments, mm -hmm. for more funding. And mm -hmm. it's just something I think everyone should be aware of. Most likely one in two people will either 
have had a personal experience or will know someone. Mm. And one in three people born today will develop dementia. So we need to do something. The, the I mean, stakes it's, it's are an, it's a, it's a, It really it's, is something that has to has to be sorted. One of the lovely things that happened, though, was that everyone in EastEnders, there was a whole gang of you, mm. uh, started running marathons, raising yeah. awareness and raising money. Uh, that, that was fantastic. Mm. That was an amazing, amazing thing. That was 2019 and some of Barbara's uh, castmates yeah, were asked great. if they'd run a marathon and then they wrote me in as well, which, <laughs> which I couldn't believe. I was 55. I've never... I've never been a runner in my life you know I'd, I'd run away from the gym I mean that was and they said no 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 and Adam Woodger and Jake Wood convinced me you know Ian Bill and Max mm. Branning convinced me well you can't see <laughs> yeah, no, how, how could you have said no no exactly <laughs> do you feel like this is sort of your now full-time job in a way is being a campaigner I do, yeah. I, I've noticed I'm called a campaigner now. Yeah. If, if if I do an interview or something or something for the charity, that the word campaigner does come up. I have another another job as mm-hmm. well. I, I look after a couple of the EastEnders cast. I, I look after lovely Lacey Turner, who oh. plays Stacey, oh. and I look after Natalie Cassidy, who oh, plays cool. Sonia. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's and really in the good. past, and I, that I, connection I looked, yeah. Still there. yeah, and I looked after June Brown, lovely June Brown, and quite and a few of them over the years that, I, that I've looked after as an agent. So that's my kind of main job, yeah. let's say. But the campaigning and the charity work with ARUK is very, very important to me. Mm. What advice or tips would you offer to families that have been affected by Alzheimer's or are being affected by Alzheimer's? I would say I, I think nobody can really, apart from a real expert in the field, people like myself... It's just like everyone else who goes through it. You're going to learn as you go along Mm -hmm. because most of us have no idea really how to deal with this. And the thing about it is it changes the whole time. So you're constantly reacting to maybe a new phase that they may be going through. I would say try and be kind to yourself because you won't always get it right. I didn't always get it right. And I used to really berate myself when I didn't get it right. But... You know, if you just show yourself a little compassion and say, well, why should you be getting this right? This, this, this is, you're not qualified to yeah, do this. you're not trained. You're not trained to do this and you don't know what's coming at you and you don't know how you're going to react. So I'd say try to keep it in the day. Mm-hmm. Try not to jump forward in your mind to what it's going to be like in two or three years because you never know. And the important thing to know is for everyone is that Everyone who has dementia will have a different journey. So not all the things that you may hear other people talk about will happen with you and your loved one. Some people have mild symptoms for years and years and years. So it really is you in the moment with your loved one. I always just found just try and make them feel safe. Talk to them very gently if they're looking like they're having a confused moment. And and sometimes you have to just talk through to their heart as opposed to their mind. And a smile is always a wonderful thing to mm. do because they sense a feeling. Mm-hmm. And when we smile, they'll sense a good feeling. Oh, that's wise. Isn't mm. that wise? It really is. And how about getting help, you know, getting proper trained help in there? Um, because sometimes I guess there's a feeling of guilt that you're not doing everything yourself, but you can't. Sometimes you've got to call in the experts, haven't you, oh, something like dementia? You absolutely do. You absolutely do. You know, these people are trained 
to be with people with dementia. They know how to react in certain situations. It will take a lot of pressure off of you and take a lot of stress away from you and you will need it. So my advice to anyone who's kind of in two minds about having care in, I'd say, please, please don't hesitate. And in many ways, maybe start it as early as you can so that they get a little bit used to it before things get too far down the line. Couldn't agree more. There's a lot of people doing amazing things, healthcare professionals. Would you mm. have a wee, a wee message for, you know, the people that helped you and that, mm. that helped Barbara and anybody that's out there doing, working away and mm. doing doing incredible work? I, all I can say is a very humble thank you because without all of you, whether it be the researchers who are, are trying to find a cure, whether it be the most importantly to me were those people that came to our home to mm -hmm. help us. That was such an incredible, incredible gift. And I personally, I always refer to you all as angels because I believe that that's what you are when, when you come and become a part of a family and you care for someone who's not your own family, but they could be in, in mm -hmm. the love and kindness that you show them. So a heartfelt thank you and please, please just continue it. We, we all need you des mm. desperately. Um, so normally at the end of each podcast, we ask our guests to tell us their biggest fail, regret and win. Obviously, this is one's a little bit different, but we'll start mm. with um, fail. And it can be sad, funny, it can be whatever you want. Fail. Maybe, maybe towards the end of my nan's life, I didn't see her enough. Right. Mm. Yes, that's a good one. To that's regret as well. In that, a that's, that, that's, 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 that's a regret. A regret. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and there's nothing obviously you can do about mm. those things because they've done, but certainly they make you think about the future and what you're doing in the present. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that that to me would be one that I'd say, mm, that, was my, that could go down as a failure mm. for you, Scott. I wanted to be an actor. And I went to drama school for three years and I performed and I did and I suddenly lost my nerve. And in a way, was there a bit of failure in that? I guess there was. And that was all to do with not having the confidence to mm. keep going forward with it. And sometimes I think, oh, Scott, you know, if you would have persevered, why didn't you do that? And, it, and there's a sense of... I, I think it's like you just said, Rosie, as well. Maybe a little bit of regret mm. there as well. But everything turned out the way it should, I think. Because yeah. I went on, I, that three years at drama school was not wasted. I went on to do casting for pantomimes um, and also being an agent as well. So I understand the business and I understand it the whole way around. Mm. So. I think we can know what your win is. I think I can guess what your win would be. <laughs> <laughs> my win, well, I think... My win, which was nothing to do with me, was meeting Barbara. I thought you would see that. Yeah, <laughs> that's the that's the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. It really oh. was, and and by no nothing that I did, it was just how circumstances seemed to happen. And uh, I I count myself so lucky, so so lucky to have shared my life with such an incredible, incredible lady. I really do, and. You know, I know I'll never find a love like that again, 
And she wanted you to be happy. She said that to you. She said, go out there and be happy. She'd be so annoyed. If I was moping around... Mm. She would hate that. She would really hate it. And she'd know it wasn't me deep down as well. Mm. So Mm. The book is amazing. It really is. It's By Your Side, My Life Loving Barbara Windsor by Scott Mitchell. And it's... um, Yeah, I felt... I mean, I obviously felt that I knew her anyway because we Mm. all felt that we knew Barbara, didn't we? But you get such an insight into this. and, And you actually are so honest... Mm. She would love that honesty. Yeah. Thank you so much, Scott. It's been oh, lovely talking thank to you. you. Thank Rosie you. Lorraine, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure.